3, <clears throat> verses 14 to 21, if you'd like to open up in your pew Bibles, and uh, you'll find that on page 828. That's now. Hi, Lynette. How are you doing? You're a bit of a soccer mum, aren't you? I am. You are indeed. Mom. Yep. Yep. Two kids. Two mm. kids who love it. Okay. Well, we love God's word. So, um, yeah. do you want to share with us? That'd be great. Sure. So we're reading from Ephesians chapter three, starting at verse fourteen, and you'll find this on page eight twenty-eight of your pew Bible. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being, you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, well, let's pray and then uh, look at this good passage this morning and uh, see if we can understand it and grow from it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day that we share together as your people. We thank you that we can read your word and try to understand more of it. And Lord, we pray that you'd work in our hearts so that we'd be keen to obey you. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, early in the um, 2000s, I worked as a high school teacher and taught commerce for a time. Uh, and during that time, we did a unit on buying a car. Uh, and whilst the kids were researching what kind of flash car they'd like to buy on credit, <laughs> we actually did um, part of the course on road safety. And as a teacher and someone who'd had more than 10 years of uh, driving experience, I wanted to pass on to the students some important messages about road safety. And I was concerned, it was a burden of mine, that they'd have, a, I guess, a feel the weight of the importance of driving in a careful manner and uh, yeah, be aware of the risks when they got a car. So I wanted them to take on, my bo on board my concern and for them to become mature drivers. Now, I think a lot of the students uh, in that class did take on the message. I think it had a, a good impact. I can still remember some of the classes, so it's probably a good thing if you can remember something after 10 years. But I'm also sad to report that three of the students from that class died in road wrecks, car wrecks. Hmm. It, was, it was pretty sad to see over the years that um, within five years, three students had died. Well, I wonder if you've ever wanted to pass on some wisdom to somebody else and you've wanted that wisdom to stick with them. 
You've wanted the wisdom to remain with them so that they might benefit from it. Well, this morning, Paul has a concern. He's got a concern for the church, and he wants the church to appreciate what God has done for them. He wants God's power to be at work in their lives, and for the message that he's, he's got for them, that he's written three chapters about already, for that message to sink in, that they might be filled with all the fullness of God and be mature Christians. That's what he wants for them. And so it's to that end that Paul uh, begins this section and he starts to pray for them in today's passage. Now the context for this passage begins uh, actually a little bit earlier. Uh, at chapter 3 verse 1 he says, for this reason, but he breaks off. And so before that we have to, we have to see what he's been saying uh, for when he got to that point and he wants to start to pray. Earlier in chapter 2, He's spoken about how these people have been made alive with God. That they were once people who were far away from God, but now they've been brought very near, very close. And that as a result, that they've become God's people. We're told that he's made a new man. They're not just Gentiles and they're not just Jews. It's a, it's a new community. And the new people of God are the Christians, made up from both those different backgrounds. In fact, they were now so special to God that Paul could write that they're actually built together as God's holy temple in which God dwells by his spirit. And on account of God's special work in saving them and making them his people, he goes on and he starts to pray. He says, for this reason, as he's reflecting on what God has done in goodness to them, but before he says much in that prayer, he breaks off in 3 verse 1 and he starts to talk about his ministry and their place in his ministry. Finally, he finishes that section and then he gets to his prayer, which brings us to today's passage where he says, once again, for this reason, since God's become some, begun something so wonderful in their lives, Paul turns to prayer. And the first thing that he prays is that they will be strengthened with power. We see that in verse 14 through to 17a. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul begins this section by pointing out that he's someone, he's a man, alone on his knees before God in prayer. And it sets the, the, the tone for this section, that it's a, a solemn time, it's a serious time, where he wants to bring his concerns to God about these people. God is described as father, as a provider, and Paul notes that all families get their existence or their name from God. So when people think about uh, provision and fatherhood, it's got its origin in what God is like. And the point is that we can expect that God is going to deliver on this prayer. He's the one who is the good provider. And so what does Paul pray for? Well, in the first place, 
he prays that they'll be strengthened with power in their inner being. So we're talking about them being strengthened in their hearts, if you like. And there's the parallel idea that says that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Paul's just acknowledged in uh, chapter 3, verse 13, that these Christians might have been discouraged. They might have been discouraged because they saw Paul suffering and in prison in chains. And he's aware of this situation, that it might have been a blow to their morale. But he doesn't want them to be discouraged. He doesn't want them to see his chains and suffering and think that somehow Christ isn't worth all the trouble. Instead, he prays that they be strengthened in their inner being, in their hearts. Now, the original language doesn't actually have so that in verse 17. It's not necessarily a logical idea, but more of a parallel idea, where the idea of being strengthened in one's heart is the same as having Christ continue to dwell in their hearts. Now, the word that's used of Christ dwelling in our hearts it's giving the impression of a permanency that Jesus is there. Jesus isn't just sojourning. He's not just passing on by. Like some people uh, on holidays pass through a town. They stop for a while and taste the food at a certain place. If it's North Queensland, they might have a mud crab sandwich somewhere. I had one of those once and it was dreadful, so we kept going. <laughs> they might look at a few of the sites, have a look at the headlands. Uh, and if it's passing through Warhope, you might check out Timbertown. But you then get in the car and you keep going, don't you? Well, that's not the impression that Paul's giving here. This isn't Christ's sojourning. He's sort of staying for a while and moving on in our hearts. Paul uses this word to talk about the continual presence of Jesus making his home in our hearts. He's saying Jesus should rule over our hearts and be at the centre of our lives. That he be over all that we are. And all that we do, that Jesus is in our hearts. And the way that this happens, Paul tells us, is by means of God's Spirit working in us. In verse 16 he says, I pray that he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. The point is that the Holy Spirit makes a difference in our lives. If Christ dwells there in our hearts, it's by means of God's Spirit working in us for us to have Jesus as the one who's at the centre of our lives. Well, Paul didn't want the Christians to be discouraged by uh, his sufferings and his chains. And we also know that the Christian life can be a difficult life at times. We live in a world where people broadly don't love God and they don't have a great deal of time for his people oftentimes. But he prays that that need would be met, that we'd be strengthened, not discouraged, and that Jesus might continue to reign in our hearts and take up residency there. The second thing he prays is that the church will have the power to know God's love. In verse 17b he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and deep and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul's second concern is that the church really appreciates God's love. When I taught the unit on uh, buying a car and 
knowing how to drive it safely, I really wanted them to appreciate that it's important to drive safely. I wanted them to take on that message. Well, Paul prays that the church would take on this message, that they appreciate God's love. That was important to him. And he notes that it can't be just reduced to uh, head knowledge or just logical categories. He prays that they would know God's love in their experience. And he uses an imagery from the world of botany and one from the world of building to reinforce his message. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp the love of Christ. Deep roots uh, gives us the image of a tree that's going to be sustained even perhaps in times of low rainfall or high winds. The tree has got its roots into soil which is going to give it nutrients and water so that it survives. And so he's saying there's an idea of being sustained. We need to be sustained and continue by being connected to God's love. The second thing he says was that we ought to be established in God's love. To be established gives the idea that there's a firm foundation of a building that's not going to be moved. It's not going to start to sink and we're going to see cracks in the walls of this building. Paul wants the church to remain on the foundation of God's love. In fact, he's just spent the earlier three chapters reminding them about God's love, what he's done to bring them salvation from way back in eternity. And he's used good words like lavished to describe God's love and grace towards them. Now, when I think of the word lavished, that conjures up images of ice cream to me. Not watery ice cream either, good creamy ice cream where somebody dishes it out, not just with a little teaspoon and pops a bit in your bowl. And This is the idea that God is not stingy in his love. If we could compare it to ice cream, he uses a big scoop and there's lots of ice cream and it's good ice cream, it's rich and there's topping on it as well. No nuts because there's too many nut allergy people. But there's this ice cream that's tricky to keep it in the bowl instead of going over the sides. That's what Paul's saying God's love to us is like. He's not stingy. He pours it out. He dumps it onto us. And it's rich. He wants us to think of God's love in this lavish category. And he starts to expand that here in, uh, in four dimensions. He says in terms of how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It's, it's overwhelming. In chapter 2, we've been told that we're all spiritually dead before God. That's how humanity is. We're all in the same boat. We're not alive with God. We're like one of those trees that's in my backyard that's um, been sort of fallen down with white ants in it. And there's a, still a few little green shoots at the end of it, but it's disconnected from its roots, folks. It's, it looks a little bit alive, but it's dead. It's finished. That's how we were before God. And in our dead state, we're told that we follow the ways of the world and the cravings and desires of our sinful hearts. That's the bad news. That's how we started. But the good news is that God makes us alive. He's been kind to us. In chapter 1, verse 7, he says, We have redemption through the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. That's, that's wonderful stuff. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions and sins. 
And Paul wants his people to grasp that message, to grasp that love, and to appreciate how wide and high and long and deep is that love for them. But he also acknowledges that we can't completely grasp it. He says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. We could talk about it and read about it. He wants them to have a personal experience of knowing God's love in their hearts. The Christian life is interesting, isn't it? Uh, at some times in life we can be a little bit forgetful about what God has done for us and his love. But today he wants to, God wants to remind us afresh of his care for us and that we should be filled once again uh, with the joy that we've known in the past as we contemplate God's love and goodness towards us. And as we meet, as God's people, we remind each other once again that we stand together as those who have had an experience of God's love. One of the nice things about church is that our friendship is founded on the fact that we've each had an experience of God's love to us. And that's the basis of our friendship with each other. So may we be people who have power to know God's love and to be rooted and established in God's love as well. Well, the third point is that Paul desires that they be filled in verse 18 to 19. He says, and, that you know, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the, full, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul wants the church to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And later he seems to expand that idea a little bit too. In chapter 4 he says, he wants the church to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This language about being filled with the measure of the fullness of God, in the first place is a reference to God's fullness, God's presence, his life and power. And God's fullness is the measure or the standard to which people are to be filled. But the church experiences something of a now but not yet tension with respect to uh, God's fullness. On the one hand, we're told in chapter 1 verse 23 that the church already shares God's fullness, that it is a, a present reality. And yet on the other hand, uh, we still don't really always live up to what we should with respect to that measure. Christians still remain weak and the challenge before us is to walk in the new life that God has called us to. And we see more of that challenge in the second half of this book as Paul outlines areas for Christians to be holy in. But for now we can understand Paul's prayer is concerned that God's people appreciate what Christ has done for them and that we're called to live in the light of that. And that seems to be the spiritual maturity that he's talking about. That's the life that's filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Jesus does challenge us to do that. When he tells us to love our neighbour, it's not simply 
uh, the people that love us that he challenges us to love. He says, love your enemies. And then he goes and concludes by saying, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Peter tells us that God is holy and that we are also to be holy. We're his people and we should be holy as well. And so the challenge for us is to be like God. And I think that's what Paul's getting at when he talks about being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Well, finally, at the end, in point four, Paul finishes praying. And as he does, he glorifies God in verses 20 to 21. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It seems appropriate to uh, finish prayer and then reflect on God's glory and what he can do in our lives. In this section where it says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, Paul is using what's called a super superlative. Uh, He's coined a rare word to make a point which could be translated infinitely more than all we could ask for or imagine. And he's using it to describe what God could actually do in our lives. God can do a great deal in our lives because he's of his power at work in us by means of his spirit. We've just read above earlier, Paul's asked them to be strengthened with power through God's spirit in their inner being. So what can God do in your life? God's worked in your life so far and he continues to do so. But why not think for a moment? Think about what God might do in you and through you. It's a good question, isn't it? What might God do in you and through you? What are you expecting him to do between now and when you're in glory? Well, whatever you've come up with, the good news from this passage is that God can actually do a great deal more than even what you think. Or what I think. God can do more in us than we've probably even thought. And so perhaps we need to keep uh, using our imagination about how we can be used by God and keep asking God to help us to be used by him. Well, in conclusion, Paul was very concerned for God's people and so he prays for them. In the first place, that they be strengthened with God's power in their inner being that Jesus would make his home in their hearts. He wants them to be strong, encouraged. He wants Christ to remain there. Secondly, he prays that the church might come to terms with the magnitude of God's love, the love of Christ for us, and to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God, where we are to be all that God wants us to be, which is spiritually mature. That's the challenge for us, isn't it? To understand God's love for us and to live in the light of that and to work at holding on to that 
and growing in spiritual maturity. And finally, he glorifies God in praise. Paul is very confident, as he prays to God, that God can do these things. He says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or could imagine, he's confident that God can actually uh, answer these prayers. And so we should also be confident that God can do work in our lives more than we think or more than we ask. Let us pray to that end. Let us pray. Lord, we do give you thanks uh, that you promise to strengthen us in our inner beings. And Lord, we pray that uh, Jesus would remain centre of our hearts for the rest of our lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us to uh, never forget the magnitude of your love for us. And Lord, we pray that we would be filled with joy as we contemplate uh, your love and goodness. Lord, we pray for wisdom to live in the light of your love. We pray that you would help us to be people who put to death sin, that we seek to be holy because you are holy, and to be perfect because you're perfect. And so, Lord, even though we, uh, we know that that won't completely happen in this age, we pray that you'd help us to press on in that struggle against sin. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be uh, your godly people who grow to be spiritually mature. And Lord, we give you thanks for this morning's passage that we can see that you are able to do more than we think or ask. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that you would continue to work in our lives for your glory and your honour. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.